uh, the 10th chapter. But I do want to read this to you. And I don't know how to get it on here the right way. Well, I'm not going to be able to, so there it is. You know what? That's a sermon. I'll save that for another time. You don't need to hear that today. You're going to need that in the future. That's true. I'm in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read the 25th to the 37th verses. It reads like this. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. And he said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what's written in the law and how do you read it? He answered, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds. He poured on him oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell amongst the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. If there was a title to today's sermon, it would be Blind Jesus. You may not like that, but that's uh, going to be explained here in the next 20 minutes. You pray for 20. Um, yesterday, Mrs. Adkins and I had the privilege of getting our little grandson. And he got into the car, and it was in the morning, and we were taking him somewhere, and he said he had eaten breakfast, but you know how grandparents can be. We don't think that those parents do anything right. And so we were insisting that he have breakfast. And so we began to discuss what, um, what we would have for breakfast. We're in the car. We have to stop somewhere to do this. And suddenly, Easton decided that, you know, a good breakfast was not going to be something that you might get at a decent place to eat, but rather that a good breakfast probably came from somewhere like Dunkin' Donuts and involved cream and sugar 
and anything swirly or pretty. And we began to have this discussion back and forth about what was good and what wasn't. Actually, I should say he and Janice were having this discussion. And finally, I jumped in. And I jumped in and I said, Easton, you know, you just got to pick somewhere that's going to have something good for you. Or we're going to pick it for you. And he said, Papa, he said, you don't understand. He said, um, I'm worried about my reputation. I said, you're worried about your reputation? He said, yeah. He said, you know, he said, I've got a reputation about what I eat for breakfast. I said, you do? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, what is your reputation? He thought for a minute, and he said, well, he says, I'm not going to tell you because it's private. <laughs> so I challenged him, and I explained to him that, you know, reputation is what you're known for. Reputation is what everybody thinks you are about. And if you've got a reputation about breakfast, we need to know it. And he decided he'd just keep that private. You keep that in the back of your head as we travel through the message this morning. I want to take you a verse at a time uh, through this passage. The 25th verse, it says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, and he said to him, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Please understand what it says right there. This was a test. This is a lawyer. This is an expert in the law. He's putting Jesus to the test. Well, Jesus, you know, you know so much. One time in my home church, Helen, I won't give you her last name because you might know somebody from me. Helen stood up in the middle of the service in the back of the church and pointed at the preacher and said, Paul, George, you don't know everything. <laughs> That's what you consider a test. And she said, uh, or rather this, this lawyer said to Jesus, I'm going to put him to the test. What do I need to do? to get eternal life. Mm, you should probably add to that that there's a possibility this, this individual is a little bit hostile to Jesus for one reason or another. In the 26th verse it says, and he said to him, Jesus said to him, what's written on the law? How do you read it? I just want you to note something here. Jesus didn't really answer the question, did he? He puts it back on this man. He says, he says what What's written in the law? How do you read that? Jesus is going to test him back. And so you get to the 27th verse, and he said, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, you know, uh, that's all the law and the prophets summed up into that verse, right? I mean, that is it. That's the answer. And what you really need to understand is that what, what, what's going on here is this gentleman thinks, I've done everything I can do. I've done all that I can do in this regard. And I also want you to note, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I want you to pay attention to the fact that this guy really does know his stuff. It's a good answer. For a, for a teacher in the law, he has really answered this well. 28th verse, Jesus acknowledges that. You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And you ever give the right answer because you studied long enough, but you really don't know what the right answer means? I think Jesus is about to point that out. He just gave the textbook answer. He, he gave what he's learned. But he... Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
I just have to stop and tell you, um, I believe I just got called out by my daughter for talking about her son in a text. <laughs> um, he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, I don't know how you read this, but what I want you to see is that he's wanting to limit his responsibility. Did you get that? He's wanting to limit just how nice do I have to be? And who exactly do you think is my neighbor? So Jesus tells him a story. There's a man going down from Jerusalem. Stop right there for a minute. Going down from Jerusalem. He's not going up to Jerusalem. He's going down to Jerusalem. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, and they left him half dead. You know, from Jerusalem to Jericho, 17 miles and I always write when I read, when I'm, when I'm preaching on uh, this particular story, I always write this. I don't know why it's in my head, don't know where it came from other than the Wizard of Oz. But I always write, in those 17 miles, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And what I want you to see in that is that it was very dangerous. Robbers, thieves, anything could happen to you along the way. And it happened to this man. Now here's a priest. And you have to get this too. He was going down that road. Jesus' implication is that he's following this man. And when he saw him, he passed by him on the other side. And then a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed. Now let's just stop for a minute and understand. We don't know where he's coming from or where he's going to. The priest was coming from Jerusalem, going down to Jericho. The guy that was clubbed over the head is coming down from Jerusalem, going to Jericho. But here's this Samaritan, and all we know is that he's on his way. He's on his way. He came to where he was, and when he saw him, ding, 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 he had compassion. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. Poured on him wine, set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. And then Jesus says, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell amongst the robbers? This, I told you at the start when he asked Jesus what I need to do, I told you that Jesus didn't answer the question. He asked with a question. But now that he's finished the story, he's asking the real question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? You see, it, it's forcing this lawyer, this expert in the law, to reach a decision. It's for, forcing him by virtue of reversing his question on him, to take a stand. And the focus is no longer on the object of the neighborly love, that is the poor guy that got clubbed over the head, but now it's on the subject, it's on himself. This Samaritan, as he comes down, he makes himself a neighbor. He does the right thing. And let me just stop for a minute and say this to you. Notice it said he had compassion on him. 
Love should not be limited by the object of our love. In other words, that little thing where Jesus said, you've heard it said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, in the Sermon on the Mount, he meant it. It means that, that, that love means love. And the second thing is, love is always demonstrated by what you do, not what you say. Love is always demonstrated by what we do, not what we say. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What did this Samaritan do? He had mercy. His love went into action. He did something about the circumstance. Mercy, generally, if you're going to show your love, mercy almost always comes with a cost. What did he do for this gentleman? It cost him some cloth, it cost him some wine, it cost him some oil, it cost him transportation time, it cost him the denarii that he gave to the innkeeper, it cost him all those things. I get kind of frustrated. You don't need to hear my frustrations, do you? But I get frustrated when people tell me they don't have enough time. You got just as much time as anybody else. I'd be far better off if you just said to me, no, Joel, I don't want to do that. And don't tell me you're going to pray about it, because generally speaking, when people say they're going to pray about it, they aren't going to do it. And so therefore, we can say, I'm a loving person, and I care about that poor guy laying there on the ground with his head split open and everything's terrible, but I'm going to pray for him. That's not what the Samaritan did. The Samaritan said, buddy, let me clean that out. Let me put some medicine on that. Here, let me put you in my cart, and I'm going to take you somewhere, and I'm going to see that you're taken care of. He put his love into action. But this Jew, this teacher of the law, this lawyer, he couldn't imagine. This is pretty important. He could not imagine that there was such a thing as a, quote, good Samaritan. You and I take that statement for granted, don't we? This guy didn't trust me. That story that Jesus told, it's messed up. And he would have told Jesus that. Hey, whoa, stop a minute. Didn't you mean to put the priest in that position? Uh, wouldn't you probably rather had that Samaritan laying on the ground with his head split open? You, you've got this all messed up, Jesus, because he couldn't imagine that a Samaritan, Samaritan could do a good thing. You know what we call that? We call that preconception. Do you have any preconceptions about people you see? We all do. How does that affect how you live? How does that affect how you love? And in the 35th verse, And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Oh, I see what's going on. I have made a mistake here. Stay with me. I didn't read these verses to you, did I? <laughs> now we're at the 37th verse. The question is, which one of these three was a neighbor to this guy? And the answer that is given is this. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. 
You remember the original question? The original question was, what must I do? Jesus answers the question for us. It's not that you've got to think about what you're going to do. It's not that you've got to pray about what you're going to do. It's that you need to actually go do. You go and you do likewise. Would you say that sometimes we Christians reject God's commandment to love each other? <laughs> I love the answers I'm getting right there. That was cute. <laughs> the rich young ruler needed to learn this. He needed to learn that it's possible to say all the right things but do all the wrong things. What must I do? Jesus said, what's the answer? He said, the law. He said, I've done all those things. What's missing? And Jesus said, oh, I'm in the wrong story now. I'm going to take you to Matthew for a minute, but I'll just tell it to you. Do you remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus? What must I do? Jesus says, what's written in the law? And he says, you know, I've done all that. Jesus says, then sell what you have, give it to the poor, then come and follow me. And what does it say about that man? It says, when he heard these things, he went away sad because he was extremely rich. He couldn't do. He knew what, the, he knew what it said. I, I, I got to love my neighbor as myself. I got to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind. I got to do all those things that are in the commandments, in the law. But when it came down to actually putting them into action, something broke down. And I'd submit to you that some of us today, perhaps most of us today, need to learn that simple truth. That just because we have it here does not mean we have it here. And until it moves those 12 inches from here to here, we're never going to be able to put our shoes on and actually do what this is telling us to do. To put it plainer, a lot of us, and please be sure I use the word us, we're great Pharisees. We know it, but we're terrible at implementation. In Luke, there's a story told, and I'm not going to take you there. I am just going to remind you of what it is. There's this woman who the scripture clearly says was a sinner. She comes to this house, Simon's house, where Jesus is having an audience. And when she walks in the room, everybody looks, right? Because we all know her. Don't you wonder how the Pharisees knew who she was? And she gets down without saying a word, and she starts to wash Jesus' feet. And when she's done washing them, she takes this oil, and she's putting it, anointing his feet uh, with the oil and with her hair. And finally, one of those Pharisees speaks up and said, you know, this guy can't be real because anybody knows who she is. And if he was from God, he would know who she is. Jesus takes the presence of this woman, whatever her sinful nature was, to teach a basic principle. He looks at Simon, the owner of the house, and he says, Simon, I came to your house. You barely answered the door for me. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't anoint my head. 
You just basically said, ah, oh, come on in and grab a seat wherever you want. You know what she did? She washed my feet. She washed my head. She kissed me. And guess what, Simon? Her sins are forgiven. And then, then he adds that little jab because those that have sinned a lot are forgiven a lot. But those that think they haven't sinned at all, they'll never know the love that comes from forgiveness. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. You see, the expert in the law, back to the original story there in Luke, chapter 10, asked this question, who's my neighbor? Jesus reversed the question, have you been a neighbor? And that gets me to my bottom line. And you're going to see it on the screen, but it's going to take me a long time to state it to you this time. The image of God in you is best viewed through your neighbor's glasses. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one that showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Think about those two verses for a minute. Think about the simple question that Jesus asked. Which of these three was a neighbor? And he says, the one that showed mercy. Do you notice anything about that answer and about that question? I'll tell you what you ought to notice, and you really ought to pay attention to this. He says, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus' question was a who question. Who? And it would have made great sense, since he's asking about three particular people, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan, for this guy to say it's obvious it's the Samaritan but he couldn't get that off his lips because he hated Samaritans so much it was never going to happen. Who was a neighbor to him? Well, it, it was the one that did the right thing. There are other answers to this question he could have used. Jesus could have asked, who didn't do what they should have done? And the man could have answered, the priest made a mistake because we all know that a priest did do the right thing, right? Right? Or he could have said the Levite must have been going home from choir practice and didn't have time. Or he got caught up and had to get up in the morning. He's been out too late because somebody called him for this. He's been doing too much of this, that, and the other to have time to stop. And all those excuses that you and I give. But the question was not who did what they should not have done. The question was who. Who did what should have been done? Because we so often want to know why, why didn't Bill do this, why didn't Joel do that, why didn't she do this, why didn't she do that, that he answered the question the way that he did. I'm not going to say who because I don't like who. The answer is the one that showed mercy, the Samaritan. And the problem that this lawyer is avoiding is really not just the fact that this is a Samaritan. He's avoiding his own responsibility to do the right thing. Because he's now put himself in those shoes and has said, what would I do? And deep down inside of him, he knew that he'd have been too busy. And he'd worked long and hard for that oil. And he wasn't shelling out his money to help out this guy get a room for the night. 
so often, you and I, we think the best of ourselves, don't we? Don't you want to think the best of yourself? I'm a good Christian. I go to church every Sunday. I'm Travis with a mustache. Oh, that's not Travis. I'm a kitty cat. Travis is coming. <laughs> now I'm Travis with a mustache. Huh? You know, it's funny. When I see people speeding, you know, they go by me zooming by. I usually say something like this. I hope he gets picked up. What really ticks me off is when I look down at speedometer, see that I'm speeding too. He's just going faster. We look through our rose-colored glasses at ourselves, don't we? I'm good. I'm right. I do the right thing. And Jesus wants us to get it that as the church, we're supposed to be him. We're supposed to be Jesus. And when it comes down to what this gentleman, this teacher of the law, this lawyer did, he's looking at that Samaritan through the glasses he wanted to look at him through, doggone it. Well, that no good scoundrel, he would never do the right thing. But worse than that, it's not that he couldn't admit that a Samaritan might be good. What's worse than that is he couldn't admit that someone might need his help and he should have done something about it. So instead of putting on his rose-colored glasses, he puts on his blindfold. He says, if I don't look, I won't see. If I don't pay attention, I won't be responsible. so often like the priest and the Levite we leave the Sunday morning where we slip on our rose covered glasses and pat ourselves on the back for being such good people we've been to church for an hour we've done the right thing today and as we walk with those blinders on we don't realize and see the very bodies that are laying all around us now you say Joel nobody's laying outside this church nobody I see is laying out here dead near death well, that may be true. Let me tell you, I've seen people near death out here in the parking lot on two occasions. But I'll tell you what you do pass by. Kids that are hungry. Kids that can't read. Families that are broken in two. And really all they need is somebody to mentor them to understand what it means to be a father or a mother. Kids that are hungry. Families out of work. You say, oh, you know, if I would, if they just go get a job, I see those signs on Wendy's, right? $12 an hour to flip burgers. Can I tell you something? We don't know the whole story, and we put those blinders on again. Because it's easier to do that and think well of ourselves than to realize how hard it is for a single mother to raise two kids without her husband and go to work every day and find somewhere for the kids to stay on $12 an hour. You can amen that. 
I wonder when people look at we Christians what they see. Take someone that's willing to step up to the plate and become a Samaritan can make a difference. Someone who's going against the grain, someone who can't just see the need, but what the needy see in us. Someone who doesn't believe their own press, but willingly is going to look honestly through your neighbor's eyes and see what they see. Because if all they see are stained glass windows, and all they hear are the bells of a carillon, and the faint sound of a hymn on Sunday morning, all they see is us. But sadly, we don't see them. But when they see people that are willing to stop, extend mercy, speak words of love, do the right thing, get this, they'll see Jesus. They'll see Jesus. Because you saw them. told you I'm going to talk a little bit about our vision and our mission. The church has said that we want to be Christ for Canton and our surrounding community. Now, don't by any means get caught up in the geography. You can call Canton whatever you want to call Canton. You don't have to go by the township lines or whatever it is that you go by, the zip codes. You know what I'm saying. You know what I mean. You know what we mean to be Christ for Canton. And there's the question, there's the crux of it, to be, to be Christ for Canton. Have you asked yourself the question? Have you asked yourself the question, what can I do to be Christ to my neighbors? What can I do to be Jesus to those around me? You probably won't answer that question if your first thought right now is, I don't like this. Let's just be blatantly honest. If the only thought you have right now is, we got to get back to what we're used to, you aren't asking the question about your neighbor. You're asking the question about you. If the thing on the tip of your lip right now as you walk out of here is going to be, I don't like, and I don't care what comes after that sentence. I don't care what comes after that sentence. I don't like, it isn't about them, it's about you. And you put on your priestly goggles and you're walking down there with your rose-colored glasses saying, I tried, I went to church, I did the right thing today. But you're a Levite. Worse than that, you're a priest. Crying out loud, I know preachers, you don't want to do that. But if the question is, how can I be Christ to the kid out back on the bicycle? How can I be Christ to the family that's hurting right now and just needs some spiritual direction? How can I help that young mother to find a career that will help her pay her bills? How can I help that family to stick it out? How can I teach somebody how to budget their own money? How can I show them how to move along and get along in life? Our kids are fine. We sent them to college. They learned it. They're doing wonderful. 
and our kids are gone. And you're still here. And I think what Jesus is asking is, do you want to be Christ for Canton? Or are you just about yourself? Is this about me really? Or is it really about you? Hear, hear good what I'm saying to you. I'm going to say it again. If your first statement today is, I don't like, okay? You aren't worried about what Jesus worries about. You want to argue that with me? Come talk to me. I'll talk to you. And I'll tell you straight up. If your first statement is, I don't like, you're concerned about you. You know what's unique about that? Absolutely nothing. But if your concern is, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself by what you do? For the person that's hurting? If you're willing to say, gee, I can be a good neighbor to my neighbor, even if their color is different, their skin color is different, their pay rate's different, their vocation is different, probably some hope for us. You know, I grew up without my dad. You all know that. He died when I was pretty young. And um, I'm so grateful for a particular one person he put in my life. I never called this guy dad. I called him Ed. Still do call him Ed. But I'm just so grateful. I, I've been reflecting a lot lately. Quite honestly, I'm, I'm better not say that online. <laughs> but I'm reflecting a lot on it lately. And... Um, the reason I'm telling you this is because even though I never called him dad, he became like a dad. If you look at your life real close, even if your father's still living or lived to a ripe old age of 93, you still have a father that's greater than that. And he's taken care of you and he's been good to you and he's watched over you and he's protected you and he's provided for you and he has done so much for you. But he's asking you to go and to do for someone else. And that's when the rubber hits the road. Go and do thou likewise. You get choice. You can go and do likewise or you can walk away sorrowful because you got too much money. You don't got any more time. You can't do this. You can't do that. That's what we pay the pastor for and all that stuff. I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but I'm going to beat that rascal a little bit longer. It's time that we do something that isn't about us. You've been forced into it. Don't get comfortable now that you've walked through two doors. Jesus said you don't put new wine into old wineskins. Can I tell you something? The old is gone, the new has come. Behold, everything's past. We're starting fresh and anew. Jump on it. Jump on it. I 
told you for the next eight weeks, I'm going to be talking to you. And, and a couple of people came up and asked me something before church. This is, this is pretty much family, isn't it? I mean, this is us, right? This is us. For the next eight weeks, I'm going to be talking to us. And I'm going to ask you to be patient. You've been patient for 19 months. We're going to come to Christmas. And then we'll find out what shall be. But for the next eight weeks, I need you to commit to one thing. Being here and listening and putting into action what we talk about. It's just one step in the right direction, but it's critical that you do it. Why was I talking about my father a little bit ago? Well, it's because of this song. 